Thank you so much for joining us this week at North Coast Church as Pastor Chris Brown continues in our series, Life or Death on the Book of John. In Chris's message, he'll also be giving us an incredible opportunity to make an impact in the lives of so many individuals through our Baby Bottle Drive campaign. This summer, we are also offering our online and in-person classes a part of our summer series. We encourage you to check out that information and information about our Baby Bottle Drive campaign on our website, northcoastchurch.com, or you can utilize our mobile app. While you're there, go ahead and download the message notes. You can give online or you can put in your prayer request. Now let's join Pastor Chris Brown for today's message. Darkness tends to separate those who can sleep and those who can't. And and this night will be no exception. For the religious, for those seriously devout, those defenders of the word of God, this has been quite a day. Challenged openly, publicly, in front of their own crowds, their own pride and insecurities put on the line. And, And so when darkness falls, it has to do a number on the masculine soul. The brain debate rages into the evening. You're split basically into two camps. How do I get rid of this guy? How do I kill him? And yet across town, there's others that stare at the ceiling, wondering, what if? What if our total defense of the word of God, our total defense of truth, has led us down the trail into one of the greatest lies of all time. What if we're the ones missing something? And in the darkness, there are home after home after homes that just can't find rest. On the other side of town, he too has tried to lay down several times. He too has had a long day. He too was publicly on trial, challenged in front of his friends, countrymen, neighbors. And he too can't sleep because he sees stars. (laughs) He sees stars. When you're born blind and you've been giving your sight back as a mature adult, Well, that first night of darkness doesn't bring sleep. It brings wide-eyed wonder. This is what stars look like. This is what the moon looks like. This is what the dance of a candle flame does with the shadows in a solitary room. And so as much as he too has had a long day, he too was called out and he'd sleep. He will find himself laying down for what seems to be just seconds. There's no way he can rest. And once again, he's out the door standing in the darkness just to be able to see darkness. The last five chapters have left many people laying awake at night, staring at their ceilings. Everyone's trying to figure out who this Jesus is and what does it mean for them? You and I have got 2,000 years of knowing this name Jesus, 2,000 years of putting crosses on tattoos and necklaces and earrings, 2,000 years of knowing the stories. We're not trying to figure out a new character who just came on the scene. We're not trying to figure out a new religious figure that has just started walking, teaching strange things in the temple. You and I have 2,000 years of experience of where to put our chip, and yet maybe today we're going to find out. Jesus is going to reach back to one of the most common pictures an amazing illustration in the first century that everyone would have known, everyone would have seen, everyone would have experienced, trying to drive home. This is those that are walking in truth and this is those that are listening to the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
I don't know about you, but my entire life I've heard about John 10.10. We have a thief, an enemy who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I've always thought that was Satan. In fact, I've always taught that of Satan. And it is the work of Satan. But when you and I jump into this illustration in the first century today, you and I are going to find it may have far more to do with us, Christians who defend the word of God, than it does with the devil himself. As much as I want to do 21 verses, we're only doing 10 today. I'm going to tell you the teaching part of this is going to be shorter than normal. I know it's a relief. I'm going to wait for the applause to die down in your homes before I finish this. But here's why. Two weeks ago, I left and I asked some of you to pray for us. There was a group of six of us that were going to Uganda. We got back last night after a 32-hour journey back home. I can't wait to show you the sights and sounds of Uganda. We're putting a video together right now. It's going to come at the end of this message. You're going to see where we were at, who we saw, what we saw, and what we're going to do there. And I'm going to make that offer to those of you that want to be involved in changing some lives forever in Uganda. So I'm saving time at the end of that. Thanks for praying. My sickness almost overnight was, I'm going to say, healed. I was relieved of one of the worst colds I'd gone into a weekend with ever. And by Monday morning traveling to the airport, I was feeling pretty dang good. And after 20 some hours of flying, I was feeling great. Thanks for your prayers, your safety. We're back home or your prayers for our safety. We're all back home. I'm going to show you at the end of the message. Some of you right now are going to scrub the teaching and find Uganda. I don't care. It's God's will too. Here we go. John chapter 10. Jump into an illustration. Zachary, good to have you back. We're in two different colored socks because that's your MO. Buck, good to have you behind the equipment. Thanks. He's a quiet guy. He nods occasionally. That lets me know it must have been ecstatic. John chapter 10, verse 1. We're going to pick it up and read. Remember where we've been. Five chapters, five chapters of Jesus dividing the crowd, five chapters of Jesus healing two different times on the Sabbath and the religious leaders, all they want to know is who do you think you are to heal on the Sabbath? Not who are you? Who do you think you are to heal on the Sabbath? We've seen Jesus journey outside of Israel and sit with a Samaritan woman, the S word, one of the greatest racial racial wars in history, and he enters that community where no good religious Jew would ever enter, simply to bring himself Jesus and to let people know that true worship is finally here. We've seen Jesus crossing almost every social line there was, every cultural barrier, especially the religious ones. And as it starts to boil over, he now brings it to a point. It's John 10, 1 through 10. One of the most familiar verses in the Bible, but taken in context, may be different than what you and I think. To sum up five chapters, very truly, I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. So now we've got last chapter. We've got a blind man that was healed, but all the religious leaders wanted to do is who did it? How can that happen on a Sabbath? The blind man, and oh, wasn't Damien great last week? Holy cow, I love listening to that kid. I call him kid, but he's 40 years old because I'm an old man. I love listening to that guy. I can't wait till he takes my job. Wait for the applause to die down. Want to hear more from him. Man, I loved what he did with that blind man story last week. But here's a guy that's healed by Jesus, sent on a blind mission to wash his eyes. When he does, he can see and he comes back. And the religious institution just wants to know who did it, who did it, who did it, and why. You can't heal on the Sabbath day, the holy day. And the blind man just stumbles through. It's Jesus, he may have been a prophet, but at the end he confesses he's Lord and he worships him. And Jesus ends by letting the people know, the religious leaders, I think you're the ones that are blind. You're missing 
You're missing what Christianity is ever about. Have you ever felt at home right now, North Coast Online, have you ever felt like you're missing what Christianity is supposed to be about? There's supposed to be something more. There's supposed to be an abundance. There's supposed to be a life in us. There's supposed to be something that's so, uh, so, uh, so different from the norm <clears throat> that we're called Christians. <laughs> we're separate. We're light in a dark world. And Jesus takes this understanding of sheep in a pen Every day being seen in the Israelite community. Every day being seen across the land of Israel. Let me give you an illustration that'll drive home what some may be missing. <clears throat> Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Now the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Circle, highlight, underline. That's how you do it, Damien. Because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. I'm not making fun of Damien. In fact, I only saw one of the services here where he couldn't get circle, highlight, underline. He went underline, highlight, underline, scribble, underline but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will never run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. We left in chapter nine, and this is continuation of that story. I just wanna quickly remind us, chapters weren't given to the Bible until the 12th century. Verses didn't come until the 15th century. This was not written split up chapter nine, chapter 10. We've put chapters and verses so we can all follow along and memorize and refer to things better. But this is one continual story. Five chapters of religious leaders getting it wrong. Five chapters of people that are devout to the religion of God and defending the truth of God, getting it completely wrong. And the way they are mishandling the broken, the poor, the needy is what Jesus is standing in the way of. Oh, you caught this woman in adultery? And not now you want to stone her? You want to stone me? And grace and mercy is poured out. Something that the church had rocks to throw. And he stands in front of a blind man. And the only question is, where is the God that has healed you has turned into who is this guy that heals on the Sabbath? So Jesus does this incredible illustration, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So he has to break it down in plain English in verse seven. Therefore, because they didn't understand this, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Circle, highlight, underline. They will come in, being the sheep, and go out and find pasture. But the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the fullest. Okay, just read the next verse, even though I'm going to save it for next week. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
It's 10 verses, 11 if you read on the good shepherd. It's just 10 verses. But what we're gonna pull out these 10 verses is understanding that maybe you and I got the thief wrong. Maybe you and I in our understanding of Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is true. I mean, that's what Satan is about. But in context, that's not who Jesus is talking about. And so now the life, how it's supposed to work. What's Jesus's little illustration about? I want you to fill in some blanks here. These go rather quickly. But first of all, there's a good shepherd that loves and cares about us. That's what Jesus is saying. Look, let me tell you, there is a good shepherd that loves and cares about us. We do not serve a distant God. We don't have a God behind the clouds somewhere. As we're about to find out, this is a God of incredible intimacy and relationship. But Jesus goes, let me tell you how life is supposed to work. There is a good shepherd. He owns the sheep. He takes care of the sheep. But the warning about this is because the last five chapters that there is an enemy that loves and cares about himself. There's an enemy that simply loves and cares about himself. Now, I think for you and I to get the most out of this teaching, we got to get this idea that he's talking about Satan, that who's come to steal, kill, and destroy. That verse is always used there, but in context, Jesus is not talking about Satan. He's not talking about the devil. He says the thief, the ripoff artist, are those who just don't go through the gate to get to the sheep. Who's the gate? Jesus says he's the gate. So anyone that's getting to the sheep, the blind, the needy, the people of God, the broken, and they're not getting through Jesus, they're the ripoff artist. They're trying to use the Old Testament. They're trying to use the law. They're trying to use their own agenda. They're trying to use cultural persuasions. If it's not through Jesus, he goes, then you're being ripped off. This is the purpose of the entire illustration. I wrote down, I did this on the plane coming back last night, but I liked it so much and just kind of what I took from a lot of Bruner and again, a lot of Swindoll and a lot of Guzik was this. The thief, the ripoff artist are the people gripped by defending the word of God, yet missing the whole theme of scripture and life. That God's Messiah is for blind people, needy people, simply put the unseeing world. When we have religious pit bulls, who sink their teeth into defending the scripture, but miss the fact that those very people they're attacking needs Jesus more than their truth, we find the ripoff artist, we find the people that Jesus says, be weary of, don't listen to their voice. He says, there's a gate and everyone knows that that sheep are taken out into the pastures to graze. But no good shepherd leaves his sheep exposed at nighttime in the pasture. If they're far from a pen that they can bring him into, they'll find a cleft, they'll find a clave, the, uh, a, a cave. They'll try to put some sort of make brush in front of, and they themselves will sleep in the doorway. They will be the defender against anything that comes after their sheep. You and I may think, well, what's the loss of a sheep? These sheep weren't raised in the Palestinian area, an Israeli area. They weren't raised for meat. They were raised for their wool. So when you lose a sheep, it's not just like, you all. Oh, I don't get meat from that sheep. No, when you lose a sheep, you lose wool this year and next season and next season and next season. And you lose the primary way that you create other sheep. You get little lambs from sheep. And so this had to be defended. This is your worth your weight in gold. These sheep were your continuing prosperity. And Jesus says, you guys all know how it works. You see it all over the countryside. A lot of times shepherds will be out in the field together. At night, they'll bring their flocks and they'll put them into a community pen. That's right. The sheep will all be put in a great big pen together. And you go, how do they separate them? 
I'm glad you asked because it's the next question. Knowing the voice of the shepherd is what separates those two flocks. Knowing the voice of the shepherd. You see, every shepherd has their little sing-song tune. Every shepherd has their own little whistle or their own little flute. Every shepherd has their own little yodel, if you will. And the sheep know their shepherd's voice. I love the way Bruner put it like this. By the way, when I talk about Frederick Bruner, this is his study on the book of John, um, one of our primary sources we're using. Frederick Bruner says this, citing C.T. Wilson, who wrote a book called Peasant Life in the Holy Land. Some years ago, I was staying the night in some shepherd's tents in Jebel Alugin or Gilead. The tents, the tents to the number of 10 or 12 were pitched in a wide circle enclosing a considerable area. In the evening, some six or seven flocks were brought within the camp for protection. In the morning, when the time came for the shepherds to take their charges out to pasture, instead of attempting to separate their prospective flocks from the crowd of goats and sheep scattered promiscuously over the enclosed space, each man went a little way beyond the ring of tents through the gateway. And standing there, they uttered his special call. Instantly, the whole mass of sheep and goats were in motion. And as the shepherds continued to call, the several flocks separated themselves, each streaming out of the camp in the direction of their respective shepherds. And in five minutes, not a goat or sheep remained inside. Looking again shortly afterwards, the various flocks could be seen diverging to all points of the compass, each following its own shepherd. (laughs) There was another, Gary Burge gives a more recent depiction of the power of the shepherd's call. He wrote of a Palestinian woman who had lost her husband in a recent conflict with Israel and who consequently consequently was in dire need, was finally permitted by a very hesitant Israeli officer to call her sheep out of a huge mass of sequestered and detained animals. The officer at first pointed to the pen containing hundreds of animals and humorously quipped that it was impossible for her to call out the 25 sheep that she claimed belonged to her husband. She asked that if she could, in fact, separate for for herself 25 sheep, would he be willing to let her take them? He agreed. A soldier opened the gate and the woman's son produced a small reed flute. He played a simple tune again and again and soon sheep heads began popping up across the pen. The young boy continued playing his music and walked home followed by his flock that numbered 25 sheep. Each flock of sheep is apparently attuned to a very particular and unique to itself voice or sound. And Jesus is playing on that theme throughout this sermon. Isn't that cool? See, you and I don't grow up with shepherds. You and I don't grow up with sheep. You and I haven't watched this on a daily occurrence. So maybe this very poignant illustration from the first century misses a little bit on us. But Jesus knew his crowd. He says, let me tell you, the the people of God, the sheep, there is one gate. There is one protector. There is one way in. And Jesus says, it's me. Anyone who is teaching or leading by any other gate anyone who is teaching or presenting any other salvation, anyone who is not going through the gate, who is climbing over whatever wall, whatever barriers to get sheep, he said, they're the thief. 
They're the ones who steal. They're the ones who are killing. They're the ones who are destroying because they're taking the sheep away from the very purpose that the shepherd has to perform. And Jesus says, and yet I am that good shepherd. He goes, I am the gate. And knowing the voice of the shepherd is what separates those two flocks. Huh. Why? Because sheep have spent time with the real shepherd. Sheep know their shepherd. Sheep know this is the guy that cares for me. This is the guy that protects me. This is the guy that gets me out of trouble. This is the guy that lifts me up when I've fallen down. This is the guy that has my best interest in mind. See, because sheep have spent time with the shepherd. They know his voice. They trust his voice. Let me give you a guide to just these 10 verses of what Jesus says about a good shepherd. Number one is this, a good shepherd knows each sheep personally. He knows each sheep personally. He knows them by name and they follow him because he knows, they know his voice. Has it ever dawned on you that when it says he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out, and then he says, I am the good shepherd. How personal God knows you. See, when a shepherd spends that much time with his sheep, a, spe- a, sh- a sheep's not just accustomed to the shepherd and trusting him. A shepherd knows his sheep. I know which ones are prone to stray. I know which ones that hear my voice and come quickly. And I know which ones take a little goading. I know which ones will lead others. I know which ones that are wanderers. A shepherd knows them. And when a shepherd's out in the field night and day and brings them into a pen, even if it's a collective during the night, a shepherd knows his sheep. He knows which ones are going to come automatically and which ones may stray with others for a little while. And my bet is that shepherd names his sheep because his livelihood are right there. The, the intentionality that Jesus uses in this. Remember, what is he pitting against? He has just watched those that want to defend the word of God. But they're not about Jesus. They're dismissing him as the Messiah and how they're treating the sheep. <laughs> They've just kicked the blind guy out of religion. In the last chapter, they just kicked the blind guy out of church. Because after four times questioning him, who healed you, he, who healed you, who healed you, he finally responds with, why, do you want to become his disciples as well? And they kick him out of church. <laughs> and Jesus goes, yeah, so I got an illustration for you. Those who aren't all about Jesus and those who aren't taking care of sheep specifically and know them and care for them, these are the thieves. These are the robbers. These are the others that I don't want you to listen to their voice. I don't want you to follow. He goes, a good shepherd? Well, a good shepherd knows each sheep personally. I don't know if you've ever been caught up in just an understanding of how much God knows you. Psalms 139 says, every time you stand, every time you sit down, every time you've laid down, every thought before you even utter it as a word, every word that is spoken, every place you go, his left hand is there to hold you, his right hand is there to guide you, that he knows all of your days, that he knows all the hair on your head, the intentionality that God has in knowing each and every one of us. Why? Because if you put these parables, and as much as Jesus loves to talk about a good shepherd, we are his valuable possession. We are what he guards. We are what he loves. I know we're prone to stay. I know that I stumble and I fall. I know I'm an idiot sheep at times. And I know many times I want to run away and maybe do the opposite. 
but it doesn't take away the value the shepherd has for us. He goes, let me give you secondly, a good shepherd will lead them, not drive them out. I, I don't know how many times I've read Good Shepherd of this or Psalms 23, but it just dawned on me in an airplane coming back from Uganda. He leads them. The shepherd walks out and calls his sheep and the sheep follow him. See, we don't have a shepherd that's behind the sheep hitting them with rods. We don't have a shepherd that's behind just pegging us with stones. Man, that's the way I think. I got you to have a big whip and one of those spiky bowling ball things and just constantly just be getting me in the right direction and going. No, we have a shepherd that says, Chris, lean into me. Know my word. Know my voice. Learn to trust the shepherd that you're following and I will lead you. I will go out in front. I'm not in the back prodding you. Follow me, Chris. I know the way you don't. You see, a good shepherd will give his life for his sheep. This isn't a hired hand. This isn't some day laborer who, who when the enemy comes, when a wolf comes, is gonna take off and run or get as many sheep as you can, but well, so much for that one. No, this is a shepherd that has a personal relationship, leads his sheep, and Jesus says, I will lay down my life for my sheep, and he proved it. Why? Why do you love God? Why do you worship? Why do you, why do you tune into this, North Coast Online? The answer, first and foremost, has got to be because of what he's done for me. Simply put, if he does nothing for me for the rest of my life, for what he's already done for me, what I deserved and yet what he didn't give me, what I could never earn and deserve, and yet that's what he gave me. And because he took everything I've ever deserved and earned, and he put it on himself on the cross. It's easy to say I'm willing to lay down my life. It's another thing to watch someone who's actually done it. He says, I'm that good shepherd. <laughs> and I'm a good shepherd that promises an abundant life for each sheep. The end of verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the fullest or have life abundantly. What is this abundant life? There's so much nowadays, especially in Western thought, that abundant life is, man, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy. God wants you to be well. God's gonna give you great prosperity. I tell you how hollow those words and that sentiment follows, especially when we just come back from Uganda. I tell you how difficult it is here to hear blessings as healthy and wealth when the disciples didn't get either of those and neither did Jesus. But I think what we've come to understand is we deserve a better life than God gave his son. Hmm. That sounds odd when you say it out loud. But my prayers seem to get across that theology that God, I know how you treated Jesus and the disciples, but I deserve so much better than them. If Jesus says, I want to give you life to the fullest or an abundant life, and we look at his life and his followers, we've got to separate it from this Western idea that blessings is riches. If we get to the idea of, oh, I'm blessed or God's blessed us, and we're talking monetary, we've got to explain why God hates Haitians, why God hates Africans. Because huh. if our theology is blessing is wealth, then God sure hates those impoverished. And yet we know that can't be true. We also extrapolate that to the nth degree and we also realize, so you mean the wealthiest people in America are most loved and blessed by God? Well, we know that's not a fact. But we apply a theology to our lives about abundant life or expecting an abundant life. 
And so much so, I want you to write this down. An abundant life is not a promise of health, wealth, and prosperity, but a relationship and purpose beyond contentment. An abundant life is not a promise of health, wealth, and prosperity, but a relationship and purpose, circle, highlight, underline, beyond contentment. What is God offering in blessings? It's simply our proximity to him and that we have the life of Christ in us. It's what the apostle Paul was so famous for quoting. Man, I've been, I've been hungry and I've been well-fed. I've been in need, I've been in blessings or I've been in, I've been in wealth and I've been in need and I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, he doesn't say I'm gonna be successful in everything. He goes, I can go through life being hungry, left for dead and stoned near to death and I can still have contentment. Also, I've lived in fine homes with fine tapestries and I've found contentment. It is not the things we have in life or the material possession. In short, doesn't an abundant life or life to the fullest just necessitate by definition, it's a life that continues. It's an everlasting life. My life is not gonna end at 60, 70, 80, or 90. My life is abundant. It is everlasting and it's to the fullest. And I have a relationship walking this earth, holding the hand of the creator of the universe, knowing he is my good shepherd knowing that I get to follow him, knowing that whatever life throws at me, it's his to deal with, not mine. Having the contentment, he goes, anyone that comes into me goes in and out and finds pasture. He goes, Chris, I will take care of you and your needs. I will take care of your illness or in illness. I will take care of your life or I will take care of your death. But Chris, I got you. And Chris, I've got a purpose for you. Any other idea of life is killing, stealing, destroying what God has for us. Any idea, pursuit of life that does not involve Jesus is the very gate, the way to God and the relationship by which we come in and out. He says, you're following a lie. These Pharisees, these religious leaders are so concerned about the truth of God and defending the truth. They've missed two things. They've missed that the Messiah, that God is here. And they've missed how to love and take care for God's blind the oppressed, the needy, the broken, those who just don't see who Christ is. He goes, and if you're missing that, you're following a lie. If you're missing that, you're following the words and voice of someone who is not a good shepherd, but is this thief who's come to steal, kill, and destroy. I wrote next to this in my notes, just what are the fruits of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In, in your notes right here, you may just want to write next to your notes, fruits woo, of spirit. That's what this is talking about. Your abundant life is someone in life who has love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, Christian, let me ask you. Have you been blessed? Don't go to monetary. Don't go to materialism. Don't go to your wealth. When darkness comes and separates those who can and can't sleep, are you a person that's filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? That's the abundant life that Jesus offers. 
This is what I offer. It's a relationship with God. With that relationship with God comes a new purpose. The spirit, the spirit is going to be in your life. Here's the fruits of the spirit. Chris, is your joy changed with the spirit than without the spirit? Chris, how is your patience changed? How is your joy changed? How is your love? How is your kindness? Who were you before the spirit? And what has the spirit done in your life? You better be able to sleep like a baby and rest assured, God, you've given me these things in your life. And because of that, just like the blind man last week, I have a purpose. I get to declare your deeds. I get to tell people, look, I really don't know all the answers. All I know is blind and, and now I see. And here's the guy who did it. You see, this is what he's offering when it comes to an abundant life. And contrary, we have verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So Jesus says there's a plan on how life is supposed to work. Everyone who's going to come to God comes through the gate. Jesus made it clear. By the way, in case you missed it, I'm the gate. He says, I'm also the good shepherd. Any other thing in life is climbing over the wall, trying to get in a different way, and you're not going to get a sheep that way, and you're not going to become a sheep that way. But anyone who comes to me will be saved and will come in and out. You'll be have this relationship with God where you'll walk in and out of the world and have this incredible impact and difference because of the purpose in your life. But let me tell you how life can end up working, unfortunately. You see, the enemy has a plan for each one of us that also involves stealing our relationship with God. At this time, Jesus has looked at the Pharisees. Again, it's religious leaders that the thief is, is mainly pertaining to and being described here. And he's already said in the last chapter, your father's the devil because you're following those lies. What is the devil's purpose? What is bad religion? What is a bad shepherd's purpose? Well, they're stealing our relationship with God. Now, if you ask the Pharisees, is your goal to steal, kill, and destroy? Of course not. That's preposterous. That's blaspheme. But what are you doing if you're living life going through anything but Jesus Christ? What are you doing if you're going through life and that isn't the door by which we have salvation and God? And that has changed how we go in out in our purpose. He goes, what you're doing is you're simply, you're stealing a relationship with God. The only way we have relationship is through Jesus. So without that, something's stolen our relationship with God. He goes, now let me tell you us, it's come to steal, but it's also called to kill the abundant life that God has promised us. The enemy has a plan for each one of us that involves killing the abundant life that God has promised us. How many of us can go back and look at the fruits of the spirit and go, I do, man, I, that peace, that joy, that kindness, that patience, that goodness. That's what God's producing in my life, in me, in my relationships and, and through me. But if... If our relationship with God has been stolen, then it's killed the abundant life that he's producing in us and through us. And it's destroying everything that we are created to be and do. It's destroying everything that we were created to be and do. Do you see how this works? If I don't have Christ, I don't have this relationship with God. If I don't have this relationship with God, how in the world can I have the abundant life that the abundant life isn't what I have, but a quality of who I have? If the abundant life isn't where I am in life, but who I have in life. And if I don't have Christ, then I don't have that abundant life. I don't have the fruits of the Spirit. I don't have the life of Christ in me. There's not a work of the Holy Spirit in me. And if there's not a work of the Holy Spirit in me, then that destroys everything that we're created to be and do. I don't have a purpose in this life. I don't have a significance in this life. The purpose in this life is to what? To, to make money to have a family what type of purpose is that it's all temporary it's insignificant oh, I, I love work I love jobs I love that we have family but please tell me our purpose has got to be more than just what's going to die and be left here 
He goes, this, entering into church, a gate without Christ, any teaching that doesn't have Christ first, he goes, this is where it's going to leave you. And beware of anything in life. Can I bring it back? These were people defending the word of God ferociously against the lies of their day. And Jesus said, that is the thief who's stealing, killing, and destroying. Because Christ is not in the midst of it. And you were never supposed to use truth to destroy people. We were supposed to use truth to win people. The Pharisees are passionately defending the word of God. And in the last chapter, he says, you're blind. (laughs) You're thieves who are stealing, killing, and destroying the word of God in your life. I always thought Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. And I read it in context and realize, no, religious people who want to defend the truth by hurting others that stand in front of them are following the wrong voice and the wrong shepherd. Maybe a good heart. Pharisees had a great heart. Great defending the word. But you miss the importance of Christ in front of you and the need for people to know that shepherd. And if you've missed that, you've missed everything. And you're destroying the purpose for what you were created to be and do. Wow, what an illustration. So what's, what's the way back? The way back home is simply following the shepherd's voice. Simply following the shepherd's voice. At the end of this book, spoiler alert, it's John 21. Once Peter blows it enough times, even in trying to defend Christ, he blows it big time. Jesus just needs to know three things. His his reordination ceremony, if you will. Peter, before you're allowed to go back into life, here's what I need to know. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Is it about me? Is it about me? Is it about me? And once Peter affirms, I love you, I love you, I love you, then three times he just said, then feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Hmm. North Coast, I absolutely love being part of this church. Because the way we take the word of God so seriously, we apply it, we have homework, we listen to long messages, we circle, we highlight, we underline, we sit in life group, we discuss it together, we try to figure out how more can we be sheep that are attuned to and follow the word of God. It's why I challenged you two weeks ago, may this summer not be a time off of Bible study, may we get the word of God into our life, may we be reading through the Proverbs and chapter um, each, each day for the for the date it corresponds to. May we be people that are reading ahead just the same chapter we're going to over and over and over again. So when it's taught on the weekend, man, it falls into a deeper level into our hearts and our minds. May we do whatever it takes to get the word of God in our life. May we be listening to the daily doses and just hear others teaching us the word of God. See, the more we know the shepherd's voice, the more clearly we can follow and walk with him. And then secondly, the way you guys take care of people. We're doing these baby bottles right now. A lot of campuses actually have baby bottles to hand out, but in everyone's bulletin or online you have one. It's a little baby bottle like this. It's got a QR code. We've been doing these baby bottles for about 15 years. See, we're a church that doesn't just say, hey, we're about young women and pregnancies and we're about, we're about infants and we're about fetuses and we're about helping pregnancies. We're not a church that just makes a political voting about that. We're a church that's always put something behind it. For 15 years, we've been the number one sponsor of all clinics for young girls across North County. We want them to get the care they need. We want them to see that their mistake, and we want them to see that their 
um, oh, what do they call it, uh, interruption in their life, if they will, is far more than a mistake or an interruption. It's not just an inconvenience. That's the word I was looking for. We want them to be able to go in and get an ultrasound and see that there's a life inside of them. And we want them to know we'll stand behind you for the first couple years. We'll make sure you get the medical stuff you need. We'll make sure you get diapers. We'll make sure that you get baby bottles, that you're going to get formula. We'll make sure we're going to help you out. And for over 15 years, we've been the number one sponsor of all these clinics across San Diego County. But as we've grown, we realize we can do more than that. And so we started doing baby bottles and beyond. And last week, you guys made a, or last year, you guys made a dent in the region of Belize in that nation, putting together the first homes for young girls taken from sex trafficking. So much so that they bought a whole new piece of land now. And that ministry is just exploding because you were on the ground floor saying, in that country, we can help in an amazing way. It's why this last week we just got back from Uganda, why we came in last night from Uganda. Because there's a school there called the Shabali Community Center that's doing amazing things. The most incredibly run school in a country like that, an impoverished nation I've ever seen, with a hospital, with incredible care. And yet there's a dilemma they're facing with teenage girls. And I think it has our name on it. So here's a video. I want to show you what we did with your prayers. And I want to show you what we can be involved with if you guys want to do it. It looks like this. Hey, North Coast, good morning from Uganda. The sun on the equator is already rising. It's starting to get hot out here. And before I take you inside the ministry that's invited us here, I wanna take you to the community that's surrounding here. I wanna introduce you to the people that we're gonna impact in some amazing ways. This, this is Uganda. Let me welcome you to Uganda and a very typical scene happening in every village on this Monday morning. Children are lining up in front of a little mud classroom where there's going to be a teacher, usually not trained, who will do no more than babysit them throughout the day. And yet across the street is the Chibali Community Center. Something happening inside these walls has gotten these children up two hours ago, long before this sunrise. They got their uniforms on, and they've made the long walk to school. Why? Because inside these gates, and surrounded by these walls, they have the only hospital in the area that's gonna take care of their needs and needs for their family. And down this trail, they're gonna find classrooms where a thousand of them are gonna get an education unlike anything else in this country. And every single day, the love of God is gonna permeate this school and how they're taught and who Jesus is and how to change a nation by the next generation. I get the privilege of showing you Chibali. This 
school across the street has been out for hours. But here at the Chabali Center, it just turned 5 p.m., which means a long day of education, prayer, and worship is now over, and they need to get home before the sun sets in two hours. Not a single car dropped off these thousand students, and not a single car is here to pick them up. These kids once again will return home full of hope and joy because of this place. And yet here, many are about to turn 16. You see, after 10 years, it means they're done with the education process in Uganda. And the reality is, less than half of Uganda students will finish their high school. This school has a 97% graduation rate. Only 8% of students in this nation will go on to a university. This school, well, their hope is to be up on the wall of fame, where 65% of these classes go on to graduate from college. The vast majority of those are male in a culture that still holds females back and oppresses them. For these girls, well, they need another step. That's where you and I come in. What if, what if we move a school like this an hour and a half toward the big city? What if we find a community of girls that will pay for a higher education and pay enough that every one of these young ladies that graduate can go for free? All they need is a place to sleep and eat and study. Maybe that's where you and I come in. So after an hour and a half drive, we end up here at the Timothy Girls High School watching 462 young women praise and worship God to start their day. It's an educational facility unlike anything in the country, laid out by American architects for free. Incredible dorms, incredible classroom, incredible facilities. And on this piece of ground right here, all they need is another dorm built. So 110 girls every year can be told, yes, you have hope beyond your middle school education and you have hope to get out of the poverty that you were born into. I tell you what, what Jeff and Shannon Dykes are doing there in Uganda is absolutely amazing. Over a thousand kids at that school that you saw, an incredible hospital like no other within about an hour and a half drive from that entire area. And then to take you inside that secondary education of girls only. Where the oppression of girls, specifically young girls in that culture, is horrific. Everything's been laid out. Everything's been general engineered. They would just love to do another dormitory. This one. And this dormitory is going to house another 110 to 120 girls who would not have an opportunity for higher education if it wasn't for that. I don't know if we can do it. It's $150,000. $150,000 to build the next dorm. It's $110,000 to do the classrooms that go with it. I told them like we always do at North Coast, here's what we're about. We're about helping young teenage girls in our culture come to understand there's a choice that you can make here and the choice involves a life. And we don't want to pick at that. We want to help you through this entire process. And yet because of our size, we know we can do more than just baby bottles once a year. What if we come alongside these girls? I said, Jeff, Shannon, I love what you guys have been doing here in Uganda. I'm going to throw it out the North Coast. We've got a QR code on this. There's QR codes online. You can go to northcoastchurch.com. There's a button, Baby Bottles and Beyond. You can click on that. Here's what I told them. If we can get half of that dormitory, $75,000, we'll send it to you. If we can get $150,000, we'll take care of that dormitory. If some of you just feel the need to give above and beyond and we can do the dormitory and the classrooms, we'll do that. 
If North Coast and his generosity breaks out and amazing over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to stop that button at the price of covering the baby bottles, the dormitory, and the classrooms. So if you go on in the next week or two and that button's not there, it's because we've exceeded both of the ask that's been given us. Some of you families have been part of this ministry, North Coast families that have happening there in Shabali for many, many years now. Thanks for getting us there. Thanks for allowing us to see it. We want to be a church that says, Jesus, we get it. We're about you and how we take care of sheep. We're about you and the blind and the oppressed and those that just don't know who you are. Here in our neighborhood, here in our community, here in our cities, here in our states, but also beyond. And just as we did for Belize last year, we'll do something for Uganda. We'll do a portion of it. We'll do half of it. Or maybe we can do all of it. Why? Well, because we have a great shepherd. And I know what I deserve and what I earned. And instead what he's given me. And I know there's a new purpose on my life. A new significance now. <laughs> and as far as we read chapter after chapter, he's concerned about do we love him? Do we love him? Do we know his voice? Then Chris, take care of my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Hmm. God's plan for this world is the church. We are plan A. There is no plan B. Pray about it. If you're an individual, if you're a couple, pray together. If you're a family, some of you take the baby bottles home when our kids were small. We did this right in our kitchen cabinet because I wanted them to know and see we're about helping others, not just those under our own roof. Use the QR code if you want. In the next couple of weeks, let's see what we can do to help some girls in Uganda to say, hey, get that diploma. Put a picture on that wall. I sat with three 16-year-old girls who were finishing their years at the Chibali Community Center. And I asked him, what do they want to be? One of them said, I want to be a doctor. I want to come back and work in this hospital. And the other two said, we want to graduate from university and come back here and be teachers. Huh. After 10 years of being in that school, they want to get a degree to come back and serve that school. And we have a way for another 110 of them to continue that education. Let's pray about it. Let's see what we can do. I love you guys. Thanks for praying for our trip. Thanks for getting us home safely. Father, may we be a people that continually just examine our life. Are we about you and taking care of the sheep around us, those that you want to call by name? If we're about anything else in life, God, may you get us back to those points. May you get us back to your walk with Peter. Do we love you? Do we love you? Do we love you? And then what is our role and purpose in being your light and your love to the world around us? And may nothing else get in the way of those two callings in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to be able to participate in the Baby Bottle Drive campaign, we encourage you to go to our website, northcoastchurch.com, and click on the Baby Bottle banner. There you can end up giving to be able to help support this important cause. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to having you back next week.